Hello, Great Minds. I'm back from Italy, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, as we get ready to discuss a bit of history that I picked up on my travels. So welcome to the show, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach Tobacco, and today we are going to discuss a big topic that, well, I personally have not really dove into on in the show. World War One. Well, not really. We are going to talk about one factoid of this massive war. Yes, the Great War, the war that was supposed to but did not end all wars, and did in fact start another world war that spawned a nearly unending cycle of cold wars, hot wars, and proxy wars. And to discuss this, I am drinking one of the many beverages that I snagged on my recent trip to today's topic, Trento, Italy. Sort of. And I am drinking it out of a Christmas market cup that I actually got in the city of Trento. Today, however, I'm drinking a liqueur, a grappa, uh, that I purchased a little further north in Bolzano, in South Tyrol. It is a honey grappa, or honey liqueur, eh, but more on that later. And before we get into the episode, DGMH has one new piece to add to the show. Ads. Yes, great minds, this episode of DGMH is brought to you by Manscaped. You know, we all have hair, and some of us more than others. We get our hair cut, our beards trimmed, and yes, we scape some other things. And there's no better way to handle your hair than Manscaped provides a premier grooming experience with all their great products. Now you might be thinking, who needs a special razor to groom different parts of their body? Well men, the answer to that is everyone. I mean, think about it, you don't wipe your face with the same towel you use to scrub your feet clean. I hope. If you do, then maybe some revisions to your daily grooming routine are in order. I would suggest starting with the Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Step into 2024 with confidence thanks to Manscaped, where resolutions are met and hairs are neatly kept. As the new year approaches, why not make self-improvement a breeze by keeping your body well-groomed? Introducing Manscaped's Performance Package 5.0 Ultra, the ultimate all-inclusive kit designed to help you feel clean-cut and confident as you should, featuring the Powerhouse Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. This next-gen trimmer ensures precision and ease when tackling your toughest hairs. So kick off 2024 with a trim above the rest and use code DGMH at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Included in this bundle is the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, the Weed Whacker 2.0 Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, which is fantastic, and the essential aftercare products, the Crop Soother and Crop Preserver. Their fifth generation lawnmower includes two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. And both work very well. Plus, it's completely waterproof. And if you order now, Manscaped will also throw in two free gifts the Boxers 2.0 and the Shed 2.0 toiletry bag. Resolutions may come and go, but a well-groomed you is here to stay with Manscaped's latest and greatest. And for me, it's that skin-safe technology that really makes Manscaped's products the true step above the rest. I mean, who hasn't nicked themselves with a razor before? Well, that fear is certainly heightened in certain scenarios, but Manscaped helps remove those fears, making this as good a shaving experience as one can get. So start the new year off right, because when you look good, you feel good. Yes, Manscaped, helping you sculpt the best version of yourself for the year ahead, with the perfect gift for the special hairy someone in your life. So Great Minds, it's a new year, a new you, and definitely time for a new trimmer. Great Minds, just follow the link in the show notes to get 20% off and free shipping with the code DGMH at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com using code DGMH. Huge cheers to Manscaped, and thanks for supporting the show. 
Speaking of supporting DGMH, we have a new Patreon shoutout today to listener Misty, our latest patron of the arts. Happy to have you in Patreon land, where listeners can now even get access to ad-free content. Well, let's get to it. Today's subject, Trento. I figured we'd dive into the history a bit, talk about some of the highlights of my travels, castles, and obviously World War I. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me, it's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So to start off, I want to tell you the rather interesting story of Gino Riggi, an Austrian. Well, sort of, but not really. As you see, Gino was actually as Italian as Italian could be. And Gino Riggi was my wife's great-grandfather, who passed when she was in her early teenage years. Having entered into her family, I have heard tale after frugal tale of the silent patriarch that heralded from the mother country the beautiful region of Trento, leaving it for Shakora, Pennsylvania. Now, if you have ever had the chance to visit Trento and Shakora both, then this might be a really hard concept for you to reconcile with. But that is what happened, and again I say, sort of. You see, this Italian immigrant's success story, the story of a man who very much did achieve the American dream in his life, is complicated by one fact. He spoke Italian, he ate like an Italian, he looked like an Italian, but what's the issue? Well, that would be birth certificates. You see, Gino Riggi wasn't technically Italian. I will never forget when my wife brought this up to me for the first time a few years ago, and instantly I knew. He was Austrian. Moving past the countless you're-not-really-Italian jokes that ensued, we got to the history. Why is Gino, born in Santa Croce, a small parish town outside of Trento, baptized in the very minor basilica that we visited while in Trento, an open Tyrolean, not Italian? That would be because the world's borders weren't always carved up along nationalistic lines when the old white men decided to sit down at the table. And that did cause some issues. In fact, it wasn't until 1919 that Tyrol, an Italian-German-speaking region of northern Italy today, became part of the young nation-state. We will get into the history shortly, but let's finish Gino's story. By the time of his birth, his family had already settled in America, but during a visit home by his mother, things took a rather tragic turn. Traveling first with her young son Enrico and her infant daughter Edith, Gino's mother Maria traveled home to visit her parents that had remained in Italy. Sadly, a young Enrico, who was just about seven years old, would die from an illness contracted on the voyage overseas. But unbeknownst to Gino's mother, she would not be returning home without a son. No, she would be returning home with Gino. Now knowingly with child, Maria had no choice but to stay in Santa Croce where she would give birth to another son, Gino Riggi. When Maria returned home in 1911, she returned with Edith and her new son. Enrico, however, remains buried in Santa Croce. So we've put Gino in Trento for his birth. Now it is time for us to figure out why he is in fact Austrian. Well, at least, born of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And to do that, we really need to talk about Tyrol. Tyrol was an Austro-Hungarian state that at times in its long history was controlled by the Duke of Bavaria, the Holy Roman Emperor, that is the Austrian Chins, and even the state of Austria. It was basically divided up into three districts, North Tyrol, South Tyrol, and Trentino with Innsbruck, Bolzano, Bozen, and Trento being the respective capitals. Today, North Tyrol remains part of Austria, and Bolzano and Trentino are part of Italy. And damn, we are skipping ahead. And if you're thinking this really can't be that big of a deal, let me tell you, you are wrong. As by the end of this episode, a war would be fought over no less, and two men would lose their lives fighting for that oh-so-simple reality of being born an Italian when you were born in Italy. So I guess I should probably talk a bit about Italy in World War I. Italy was originally a member of the German-Austrian alliance helping to form the Triple Alliance, which countered the Triple Entente in the coming war. 
However, on the eve of World War I's outbreak, Italy dumped the alliance in favor of neutrality before joining up with the Triple Entente. Now, I won't lie to you, Italy had really only one goal in mind when joining the First World War, and that was territorial expansion, both domestically along nationalistic lines and internationally desiring to expand the Italian overseas empire that really at this point didn't exist. Joining the Entente in 1915, Italy began an invasion of Austria-Hungary's southern borders, bringing us back to Trento and Tyrol. Now, I have always liked to talk a bit about the places I visit on my trips, and probably my favorite of the new encounters on this trip was Trento, a great church home to my favorite Christmas market of the trip, and we were able to go to a truly stunning castle, which also contained a museum. This, of course, was Bonconsiglio Castle. And honestly, the castle's history could be an episode in itself. Well, it probably will be on Patreon land. But for today, I just wanted to focus on what happened in the castle on July 12, 1916. And actually, first, I want to talk about Cesare Battisti. And if you're wondering, who the fuck is this guy? Well, that's what I thought too. But that's why I'm here. So Cesare Battisti was born on February 4th, 1875, and you guessed it, Trento, Tyrol, Austria-Hungary. And not so different than Gino Riggi, Battisti had an Italian soul trapped in Austrian paperwork. Battisti was what was called an irredentist. And if you, like me, have never heard of this term before, well, it's a person that promoted the unification of Italy in full along national and ethnic lines. And being that he was an Austrian by birth, this was going to be a bit problematic. Living his childhood humbly in Trento, his family owned a grocery store, and he did pretty well for himself. He was able to attend the University of Florence in Italy, where he examined how geography influenced political communities, using his native Trentino as the foundation of his study. And it was during this time that he met and married Ernesta Bitonti, a feminist and fellow intellectual who attended the university. In fact, her residence often served as a socialist salon in these educational years. Her and her husband would even be founding editors of Il Popolo, an early socialist newspaper that would publish pro-Italian issues until 1914, just in time for World War I. Ironically, Battisti had actually served in the Austro-Hungarian government as an elected member of the Tyrolean Diet, always advocating for the expansion of Italian education and schools in the Italian-speaking regions of the empire. So as Italy declared war on Austria-Hungary, many Tyrolians volunteered in Italian militias against Austrian forces, and irredentists like Battisti were certain to be among their ranks. Specifically, Cesare Battisti joined the Alpini Corps, an infantry regiment specifically trained for mountain fighting. This is really not surprising given that geography was his educational passion, along with his love for the mountainous landscape that enveloped his home. Seeing action in 1916 at the Battle of Asiago, Battisti and his lieutenant, Fabio Filzi, 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 I think it's Filzi, F-I-L-Z-I, were captured on July 10th, just two days later, and despite Battisti's parliamentary immunity, the pair were sentenced to death by hanging. Both men were stripped of their Italian military uniforms, dressed in plain clothes, and hanged for treason against the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and they were executed in Bonconsiglio Castle on July 12, 1916. To make things even worse, Battisti's amateur executioner failed at his job, and he had to be hanged twice. Now this castle, which overlooks Trento, is truly an amazing place to visit, and has a full display dedicated to Battisti, his death, and his writings. In fact, both of these Italian nationalist stories are told in the same spot as their execution. Although much of his scholarship is now viewed harshly, he is remembered today as an Italian national hero and martyr for the cause of Trentino and Italian nationalism. 
a monument to Battisti sits in the Trento mountainside, where he forever watches over his beloved Italian city. And in the end, Battisti's vision of an Italian Tyrol was mostly realized in one of the many side treaties of the masterpiece that was the Treaty of Versailles. And yes, that was sarcasm. Oh yes, the Treaty of Versailles, an egotistical shit show that ultimately failed in all tasks and started the Second World War. Either way, per the terms of the Treaty of Saint-Germain-en-Laye, South Tyrol and Trentino were transferred to Italy, as the region was carved up mostly along nationalistic lines, although Bolzano is still very much considered German Italy, as the people called it, even though Austrian Italy might be more accurate. Before we move on, though, let's circle back to Ernesta for a second. After her husband's death, she edited and published his many political writings, and in the 1930s, she and her three children moved to Milan and she wrote heavily against Mussolini's oppressive regime and laws that he passed that targeted Italy's Jewish population. After World War II, she would return with her sons to Trento, where she would spend the rest of her days dying at age 86 in 1957. Her son would even go on to serve as mayor of Trento before dying in a railway accident. As to our other martyr, Fabio Fizzi, well, his story is also kind of interesting, as his brother Fausto would come all the way back from Argentina to fight and avenge his brother's death, dying in battle with honors in 1917. And on that depressing note, I could use a drink. Today I am having a liqueur that comes from a grappa distiller in the Tyrol region that is made in a small town on the outskirts of Bolzano. In case you don't know, grappa is a grappa is a pretty strong liqueur, typically tough like a whiskey, and they are made from things like skins, pulps, and stems that are basically the leftovers of the winemaking process, but I mean that in a really good way. And like all good booze, it has a medicinal purpose, at least kind of, as it is considered a digestive, meant to be consumed after dinner to aid in the digestion process. Why not? Oh. Yeah, wow, good. I actually tried it the past three nights after dinner, and I gotta say it didn't hurt. It can also be added to coffee to make a nice little drink overall, and this one has elements of natural honey in it, but I tried like five from this small operation, and they were all fantastic. And let me be clear, this is a really small operation. It's one guy. His name is Marcus, he does it all alone, and you should totally check out his awesome products. I'll put a link to his website and Instagram in the show notes. Now let's rate it. I'm going to start with price, as this stuff was shockingly cheap to buy, only 24 euros for a really nice bottle of booze, and I mean in terms of look and quality, a really nice bottle. You can tell that the distiller truly enjoyed making every product that he produced. And given the ritzy location of this purchase, it was a great find for a decent sized bottle. I'm going to give it 6 points for price. And taste isn't far behind. I've had a few different grappas, and they really aren't always for me, but these really were and they were tasty. The one I bought for myself had really strong notes of honey, and the smoothness in each drink really leaves this sitting high at five points for taste. I will say the natural flavoring process does leave some sort of medicinal-like taste to it, but honestly, I I mean that in a good way. It goes down smooth and feels good going down. And uh, what the hell, if, no, when I go back to Bolzano, I will be sure to grab another bottle of this stuff. It was one of the few things that kept me warm in the Christmassy mountains. Hard to get, but much desired. So I'll give it four points for a hopeful yet distant return. That means that Felsen Reese Distillery's Honey Liqueur, and I'm sure I didn't say that right, and I'm sorry if I didn't, but I'll put it in the show notes, like I said, leaves DGMH with 15 out of 18 points and a very high five crowns. And I will say if I lived in Bolzano, it'd be an easy six. 
Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then we hope you go leave the show a great, hopefully, five-star review wherever you listen. And join in the conversation over on Instagram and Twitter at DGMH History or on the Drinks with Great Minds in History Facebook group. Of course, you can get access to even more DGMH over in Patreon land, where listeners of all levels get access to content, including what I'm teaching, extra moments with Mr. DGMH and Cullen, last call bonus episodes from Shots and Psych, Cullen Chats China, Pete Chats Portugal, another moment with Mr. DGMH on the Thirty Years' War, and of course, pregame chats where we answer listener questions, catch up, and chat all kinds of history. Listeners, just follow the link in the show notes to get access to all this great content and support the show, My Fragile Ego, and My Drinking Habit. No, I don't like have it. Let's call it a hobby. My drinking hobby. And don't forget to check out Manscaped. Use code DGMH at checkout to get 20% off your order and free shipping. So in all this research and travel and family chats, Mrs. DGMH and I have been hung up on one thing. Tyrolean identity, which seems to be simultaneously homogenous and detached from traditional Italian immigrant identity. Of course, that is still true today. The North has elements of German and Austrian language, cuisine, beer, and more. Tyrol really was an estranged Italian relative for much of Italy's fractured history, and it's not surprising that it and its populace were bound to operate and see things a little differently. My wife's family has always emphasized, clung to that Tyrolean ancestry within the family dynamic, that it was important and different to be from the North. Of course, the North also meant increased wealth. Although many in Tyrol, like Cesare, wished to and died to be part of Italy, there were those that wished to be part of Austria— to stay tied to the larger German-speaking empire, to remain different from Italy. Noting Tyrolean ties is not uncommon among the vast Italian immigrant population of the greater Pittsburgh area, and it is not really that surprising at all that Tyrolean Italians developed their own cultural identity unique from that of, say, Piedmont, Central Italy, or Sicily. Italian immigration, as we have discussed on the episode on my Tadone, was a staple of Western Pennsylvania's demography. In fact, Gino was actually a boss of many of my great-uncles at a local plant. Neat. So as we wrap this up, I want to say that in terms of history, drinking, and food, a trip to Italy never disappoints. Italy is a place steeped in rich history of empire, renaissance, statehood, and nationalism, full of untold stories cast to the shadows of Caesars, Medicis, Popes, Cavours, and Mussolinis, yet heroes like Battisti are virtual unknowns. At least outside of Trento. It's funny, really. This show's purpose was always to cover the big names, but in constantly diving deeper and deeper down the beaver hole, I find myself almost always more interested in the lesser-known stories. Stories of villains and heroes, of saviors and traitors, and these figures that I know nothing about. Again, neat. In a biography written shortly after Cesare Battisti's death, his friend and colleague Giovanni Lorenzoni began his writing saying, Cesare Battisti is one of the few men who can be called really great because of what they were and what they did. Great above all because of the wonderful sacrifice of his life for an idea. In the final moments of this rare telling of Battisti's story, Lorenzoni notes, quote, For many a century, Trentino will remember him. And I would say that is true. But he continues, quote, but not Trentino alone, nor Italy must be proud of such a citizen. The whole world should cherish and honor his memory. The memory of a soldier of a universal idea of justice and goodwill. And that part is certainly less of a reality. Still, learning Cesare Battisti's story was one of the highlights of my trip, really bringing the fullness of Italian unification and their involvement in the First World War to light. And here's hoping you enjoyed it too. Salut, prost, and cheers.